This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hall here sitting in for Professor Warthog. Ward Scott in the Warthog Manly Command Center in the Mellon Law Studio in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, God's Country. Good morning on a Monday. We're getting slowly but steadily through the month of April. Tick tock, tick tock, and here we are. Of course, on Mondays, it's our tradition to do the Coach Hogs Locker Room. And a couple of things have come my way that I'd like to share with you in Coach Hogs Locker Room. I don't usually do the traditional down and distance and the stats of the games. That's done elsewhere by quote-unquote, regular sports announcers, of which, in my experience, have been very few interesting ones. And those have been far and few between. Dizzy Dean was one I really liked. There have been some. A lot of them are, especially on the video ESPN world, getting by on just shouting and arguing. The real sports announcers are witty guys. So I'm not pretending to be the real sports announcer, but a couple of things have come my way this weekend in conversation with people who are tremendous boosters of the sports in Florida in all capacities, both women and men. And I wanna share a concern with you that they shared with me and ask you if you think it has any possibilities of actually being so. The phenomenon we're talking about is the transfer portal, but even more than that, name image likeness, what is known as M-I-N-I-L, name, image, likeness. And what this means is I'm a potential player for a particular school. I'm in the driver's seat now. I do the bargaining. I'm the one who says, well, what is in, in it for me? Whereas once upon a time, it used to be, what am I going to be able to get in terms of an education here? If I go to Florida as compared to wherever, I'm going to get a four-year scholarship. I'm going to become an, an educated man. And if I happen to be good enough to go to the NFL, well, so be it. But my primary objective is to become an educated man at this university, for which I'm eternally grateful. And I will come back and give back to this university uh, as part of the alumni group in my later years. But what has happened now is that's been turned on its head. And if you recall, once upon a time, the men's sports became so dominant, if you will, that we had to come up with a Title IX. And a Title IX indicated that we ought to also be paying attention to women's sports. I have a friend who was in the uh, sports lighting business who made a simple fortune off of just lighting softball fields for high school players throughout the state. Because all of a sudden, of course, and I think it was the right thing to do, we had also pay attention to the athletic prowess of women and not shortchange them, not give them second fiddle, if you will. And that resulted in Title IX. Now, however, with name, image, likeness, where there's going to have to be a pot of money put up by someone, and it's going to have to be the boosters, it appears, to attract these people to the university, whereas before, it was the college degree. It is now name, image, likeness. Can I get a car out of the deal? Uh, can I get uh, maybe um, uh, some shirts named after me that I'll sell and it go directly into my coffer, not to universities, and even bigger than that, uh, perhaps uh, uh, unimaginable to me or you, actual uh, automobiles given away and uh, sponsorships granted for brands that need to be pushed by the ever popular huckster, the sports star. The sports star remains one of the most popular huckster of uh, snake oil there is. And um, they, because they're out there in the public, 
and their worship from the time they're little kids, they become a logical choice to push this or that or one thing or another. And uh, shows devoted to that are easy to kinds of comparatively easy to sponsor and uh, play safely, that sort of financial game. But this is a much bigger stake here where a pot of money has to be distributed. And what I heard this weekend would be distributed to the most significant payback in terms of fans or in the stands. It would be, of course, football. And with football, it far outpaces any of the other sports, even the, any of the other male sports, far outpaces, of course, baseball, far outpaces uh, uh, basketball. Uh, it is the big deal, the big uh, uh, player on the block. And it's going to become more expensive to create interesting competition for the fans to pay back of the investment, if you will, with their butts in the seats and the prices they're willing to pay to see this. What is the timeline for this change in loyalties to work itself through the system from what I gathered by talking to these boosters is about four or five years. And what they fear is in a four or five years, the money that has been devoted, for example, to hire and attract a coach, Kelly Ray Finley, in basketball, which uh, in comparison to the top basketball female coaches right now is pocket change. I think she's getting around 600000 but we've got to go over there and take a look at what LSU is giving their coach and what South Carolina is giving theirs. So here we are. Let's just use our school as an example. We're struggling to build up, rightfully so, I think, women's sports, and in particular, the one I want to focus on now is basketball. And where's the money going to come from if most of it is going to have to be used to buy, and I'm going to go ahead and use that term, buy the big-time football recruits? Now, there, I learned a new term this weekend from these boosters, and the term is collective. I think I've got that right. There's going to have to be money collected and put aside it's called in the collective that is going to be there as kind of a, a deep pocket, uh, kind of a it's just money stashed away that can be tapped into to pay these recruits to come and play college football. Well, that if it's not if there's not a price control on that, if there's not a fixed limit on what that's going to be, and right now, in my understanding, there isn't, there's going to be a huge bidding war. And that bidding war obviously will buy the best players uh, because they have the most money. And as that pressure becomes greater and greater, there will be less and less money for women's sports. Now, already track doesn't get any money. Tennis doesn't get any money. I'm speaking comparatively here, of course. Very few fans. People hardly know um, there's a relay in town. It used to be called the Florida Relays. Somebody evidently had to sponsor it. Now it's a Pepsi-Cola Relays. Uh, otherwise, there wouldn't be any way to, to make money to support the uh, ath athletics of those people. Very, very talented. Probably the most world-class athletes we've got on this University of Florida campus at any given time are the track athletes, but they're the most unknown. So, and the least able to make money to generate any kind of interest. So that leaves the collective. And where will the money go from the collective? It's certainly not going to go to track because there's not going to be any return. It's not going to go to tennis because it's not going to be any return. But most sharply, will it go to women's softball? Will it go to women's basketball? A couple of the ones right now that are real crowd pleasing. Well, certainly softball is a huge crowd pleaser. Now, softball right now doesn't have the luster at Florida it had before in the years past. It's a very competitive team. But unless you have the great superstar pitcher like Alabama has with his Montana lady, uh, you, can't, you can't compete. Uh, you're going to lose because it's the pitching in softball 
Now, do we going to have to start paying these pitchers to come to the ladies' softball out of the crumbs that are left over from paying the football players to come and pack the Florida field? That's a good question. That was posed to me, for which I have no answers. But it's on the minds of the boosters who are thinking about this term. I think I learned it properly. The collective, where all this pot of money would be put aside. So how much will we use to make softball uh, competitive? We'll only make enough, maybe, to get the tickets and the rear ends and the seats. Now, you've got to realize when you go to these softball games, it is a grayhead audience. The audience is made up basically of old people retirees who have mustered out of their professions but have good incomes, like to be entertained. Uh, this is a good thing for them to do, to go in the afternoon to the games. And they sit around and they commits and they talk. One of the things about that game, even softball, which is much faster than baseball, they, it's old home week to these people. They sit next to each other and talk and occasionally look at the game. So that's not going to hold up when it comes to asking for money for the collective. So there are a lot of questions about what's going to happen to quote unquote, what heretofore has been known as college athletics and more particularly what has been the positive effect really of Title IX. Will that positive effect of Title IX go away because of the money drain over to support the yes, Fran McNeil evidently knows at the Gator Collective, and that is a question that is out there on the minds. And most feel all that money is going to go to football. Enough of it that it will drain financing the other sports. That is, I don't know if these people in the higher ups have thought this through. This is this is very unfortunate, and it certainly is not going to be enough money if that's the case, to attract and pay uh, Kelly Ray Finley's at a, at, a, at, a, at a price that is fitting to that their effort and what they're maybe possibly able to do on a return on the investment. Right now, the Lady Gator basketball ticket is the best price in town, $2. I paid to go sit anywhere I wanted to sit, which is real close to the floor for the Lady Gator basketball games and got to see the number one team in the nation come in here, South Carolina. So this money issue, it unfortunately is imitating what is going on in big league baseball. Big league baseball is in trouble. And um, this has been written about and, and, and very well analyzed by um, a fellow who, who is a baseball fan, has been for a long time, Andy Kessler, who recalls, as I do as a kid, how much I was involved with teams that really weren't necessarily winners, but they were emotional favorites that you liked. And it was, for my great-grandmother, it was the Chicago Cubs. And she would listen to the Chicago Cubs knowing they weren't going to win, probably. Of course, they had that great guy, Banks, after a while. But, but Chicago Cubs never much won, but people loved them because they identified them as Chicago's team. Same way with the Brooklyn Dodgers with Pee Wee Reese, Roy Campanella, these guys whom I listened to, Duke Snyder, these people that I grew up as a kid because I became a baseball pitcher in high school and we were up the road from the Cincinnati Reds, uh, which had uh, Robinson and, and uh, later, of course, Johnny Bench and Smokey Burgess, guys like Ted Klazuski, people like this whom I remember as a kid. And occasionally we would go down to see the Cincinnati Reds who spasmodically at one point in their lifetime changed their names to the Cincinnati Redlegs because this word Reds, we had name changing in sports long before we did away with the Washington Redskins. We changed Cincinnati Redlegs, Reds to Cincinnati Redlegs, and that became kind of ridiculous. So it was changed back to Cincinnati Reds. But I tell you, when I lost interest in baseball is when uh, they moved the Dodgers to California, and uh, Gene Autry spent all his – that was it for me. Hello, goodbye, I could care less. I'm not involved with California. I don't like California, uh, you know, just to generally what it stands for. Once upon a time, it was probably a beautiful place. 
but I thought it lost its mind a long time ago. I lost interest. And no longer were these teams identified with neighborhoods or, uh, or boroughs. They, of course, we've clung to the New York Yankees, thankfully, but we don't have a lot of that left. I'm not really involved with Tampa Bay. Uh, that doesn't seem to me to be a baseball town. And, uh, you know, but I was very much in Cleveland Indians. Uh oh, but I did watch and listen to the Cleveland Indians. Of course, the Cincinnati Reds, as I say, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and of course, the Yankees were always on the marquee. But once we went out there and started moving teams around for the sheer sake of money, uh, it, never, it never held my interest. Now, now we have reached a point, perhaps, in baseball, according to the analysis here, of constant bickering over revenue sharing and minimum salaries and luxury taxes is, is not resonating with the fans. The uh, lowest paid worker last year, player, if you will, uh, was $570,500. This year, the lowest paid player is $700,000. There are uh, strikes and yet work stoppages for salaries. But this doesn't endear the fans to these teams because the tickets for beer and dogs, hot dog, Cracker Jack, all that stuff goes up, up, up. And consequently, baseball is struggling to get fans out to the stadiums. Now, some of it you can say was COVID, which has blurred a lot of stuff, but that's not really what's doing it. The total attendance at regular season games peaked in 2007 at almost 80 million, and in 2019, only 68.5 million went to games. The average ticket prices in 2007 were $22.77. They are now $34.21, that's up 50%. Now you factor in the other costs we're going to have as uh, Biden inflation takes real uh, effect. We'll have gas up, food up, restaurant prices up, et cetera, et cetera. Probably we're going to be getting into price controls. That's another story. The Yankees raised their ticket prices for the seats the farthest away from the action 40% between 2018 and 2020. And media rights sales have had to nearly double in order to carry the cost of paying these players. It went from 5.4 billion in 2007 to 10.4 billion in 2019. But that's probably going to have seen its peak because ESPN, for example, had 100 million subscribers in 2011, but constantly increasing subscriber fees, cable TV prices, cord cutting massive cancellations. Now it's down to 76 million subscribers and online subscriptions haven't made up the difference. So one thing we're left with, and obviously the game and stadium experience, those two things have changed. Uh, in Boston, it's pointed out in this article, that old Fenway Park was built in 1912. And even the size of the average male then was smaller than it is now. I don't know what happened to the gene pool, but we've got bigger people now. In the midst of climate change and all that business, we're getting bigger and stronger as people. There are more of us like that. Fenway Park was built, I didn't know this until I read this analysis, for men five feet six inches. Uh, that doesn't really be, that's way beyond where we have now the average, the average uh, male, of course. So the uh, other thing that's irritating, and even it's irritating to me, because I find it, well, given the way the sun can be, and given the, the fact where you sit, the netting to stop foul balls really interferes with so many things about the game for me. Uh, it's not the clear vision that you would have at the action if you weren't somehow didn't have the netting in front of you. So um, that's, that's where you are. If you pay the high price ticket seat, 
go out to watch the Gator. By the way, that's a $65 million facility, I'm told, for the University of Florida baseball team, paid for mostly by private money. It has no debt. And it's, um, it's a, a, a fantastic place, but there it is. It's expensive. It's going to be uh, competing very soon with the Gator Collective. So uh, the best seats are those which uh, um, really are difficult to see from. The designated hitter rule has changed the game. It's changed the strategy all over the place. So the question becomes, can baseball keep raising its prices to compensate for worsening attendance and ratings? It is a problem that has at its root, according to the analysis here uh, by our fan, longtime fan, Andy Kessler of Old Time Baseball. The, 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 the root of the problem, according to Andy Kessler, is that teams are given local monopolies. Now, for example, he, he, he cites the case of Oakland A's. They've long wanted to move the Oakland A's, evidently, to San Jose, California which is America's 10th largest city. But San Jose is in San Francisco giant territory. Now, they have formed in 2009 a quote-unquote blue ribbon panel to study the issue, but it was disbanded after five years without any decisions being made. So the conclusion of Andy, who has been a longtime baseball fan, and I was once upon a time a rabbit, so to speak, baseball fan because I identified with my players who were defending my town, who were defending my territory, who were funny in the way in which they saw and presented the game, had their own way of talking, had their own way of putting a dizzy dean describing the pitching. So fixing baseball, according to Kessler, would be like fixing an old phone system. The whole model is really problematic right now. It's um, also reflected back to the point I made about where we are with the gray heads in the stands for our local college games. The students are not there. They don't come out to these games. This is even a problem that they're keeping their eye on in, in football. The uh, students are not you know, we upped the ante here and made these students come here only if they were brainiacs. Most of your brain, you know, football stadium attendance was once upon a time really solidly built around sororities and fraternities. And I remember in the FSU Florida tie, the first time there was ever a tie between the school, two schools, it was a three to three tie. There was, of course, a huge brawl on the field afterwards to defend the honor of the manhood of each school. And the sorority girls were in the stands, which were wooden bleachers then on the east side, hollering, hit them again, harder, harder. We don't have that type of fan structure now in football. I guess the rowdy reptiles are there, thankfully, perhaps for basketball, but we don't, according to my observations, have it for football. So the... Uh, Average age of the Major League Baseball fan was 57. It's 50 for the National Football League, and it's 42 for the National Basketball Association. And all across the board, only 7% of fans are under 18. Now, in the games that I've attended, where some hapless couple dragged their reluctant children to the game, and I'm talking about even grown-up children. I sat at the base Florida baseball game a few rows behind a young lady who is probably old enough to drive, and she could not take her nose out for one second out of her smartphone. She never watched the game. She never sat still. I guess she'd been dragged there by her parents to do what? See a college game? Uh, she didn't see it one second. She ran up and down the stairs. To where, I don't know, maybe to get an instant gratification for a box of popcorn or something. I don't know. I never saw her watch the game. Uh, occasionally, too, when I went to the softball, same sort of thing. You've got squirming children there who've been brought to, quote, unquote, see what? 
I guess, young ladies who successfully doing a great thing as playing a very tough game, softball, hitting a softball pitch is no easy thing. But with the Gator Collective, who knows how long that will last. It is really a, an interesting scenario going on. It is primarily um, my point today in Coach Hogg's locker room. So before I get into my next story here, I want to announce that we're going to uh, introduce the call-in call phone system to the Ward Scott Files. We're going to be looking for some business that would like to be associated with it, sponsor it, because that business will get a lot of attention. Every time a call comes in, we'll have a dedicated phone line to the Ward Scott Files, and you'll be put in a waiting room, so you won't necessarily interrupt my magnificent narrative. And when I give the high sign to the production team, they will allow you into conversation with me and the whole world will be able to hear our conversation. So that's coming. And we're going to be looking for if you have a business and you're interested in having it every time the phone rings saying brought to you by Cracker Jacks Movers, you will be uh, the person who or the business that gets to do that. And you'll be a, a lot of name recognition coming repeatedly every time that phone rings and we take the call. So we're going to be announcing that pretty soon. We're going to work on it. We agreed kind of upon it over the weekend. We have uh, still got to work out the technical situations for it, but that's probably coming your way. I want to give a break now and take uh, go over to the sponsors. Um, we have a couple of new. My old buddy Style Cuts, that's the official um, business that you want to get your hair cut down and see David Ratliff and his crew. They are wonderful, wonderful people. Great supporters of the show. I can't say enough good things about them. Shoot GTR is one of our new sponsors. They uh, shot, uh, 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 go to the range and uh, shoot DTRs, Gainesville Target Range have been going for years. It's an excellent range, excellent people, uh, has an excellent pro shop there, uh, fully equipped if uh, you want, you care. Maurice T. McDaniel is a country attorney who is now sponsoring a good friend of mine who is sponsoring the mugshots. The mugshots get 45,000 hits a month. And the reason they get those hits is people want to know where these people are. On-the-spot cleaners, great friends, great, great outfit. Take your work to on-the-spot cleaners. R&R Construction, old friend, really good construction outfit. All these people in the construction world are buried with work right now. But if you're thinking of getting something done, Lance Lunger at R&R Construction has great taste uh, in picking and suggesting for you things. And the price of material is going up, up, up. It's really alarming how quickly it's going up. We're going to talk about the economy at some point during the Ward Scott Files. Crime Prevention with John Pastore and Randy Elrath, great supporters of the show, great supporters of crime prevention all over our community, wonderful people. And the point is here that um, this show sometimes is accused of being just a conservative talk show. I am a talk show. If the liberal point of view makes sense, it's welcome. If the conservative point of view doesn't make sense, well, we've got to point that out too. I'm a professor. I'm a professor. I'm a professor. I'm a professor. You may remember that we played once upon a time. We might try to pull that out of the smut library and play it for you once in a while. But, you know, I'm not interested in, you know, in, in touting a particular slant just for the purpose of touting a slant. That's not what is interesting to me. I'm interested in the narrative, interested in the debate. I'm interested in, the app, in, in straightening the storyline out to make sure it makes sense. So that's where um, it really is, is, is interesting to me. It's not interesting to me to advocate necessarily one politician over another unless it's some crazy obvious choice like DeSantis over Gillum. That's not even a contest to me, although it was during the election. That's how many fools, in my humble opinion, went for this Gillum character who was just the worst of the worst and proved it himself in the South uh, Motel Nopel uh, uh, incident. So um, I think you know, DeSantis is clearly the choice we lucked out on here. Melvin Law, I can't say enough about Jeffrey Melvin. 
uh, Jeffrey Meldon and uh, has support. He's a great businessman because he supports all sides, all kinds of businesses. He'll support this show. He'll also support liberal activities. He is a businessman. He understands, you know, so I can't take my hat off enough to Jeffrey Meldon and all the things that he's doing for the community. He is not going to take Melvin Law and just line it up with one political interest. Everybody needs an attorney. Everybody drives automobiles. Everybody needs criminal defense. So uh, these guys are not interested necessarily in that. Reese T. McDaniel, the, my, the one sponsoring mugshots, and Jeffrey Melvin, who's doing the Melvin Law studio. So uh, patronize these people. They're great people. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files, and we'll really roll the uh, pre-recorded version of what I just said just now. I'll be right back in just a moment. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward Scott File. Professor Ward Scott now, and I was Coach Hogg the last uh, part of the hour. And I enjoyed doing the Coach Hogg, and it was very interesting kind of to me. And whatever you have to understand, if it interests me, then I'll present it to you. That's kind of how I select my material. Am I interested in it? Do I think this is something I might learn from if I thought about it some more? Then I present it to my students and share it with them because my philosophy has always been my students will help me understand what I don't understand myself. And that's all team research team work. I want to take time out now and set the record straight on the editorial printed in the Gainesville Sun set. That's what I call the Gainesville Sun. Uh, yesterday, Sunday, about the voting system that we have been investigating. You have to remember, let's go back to the beginning of the Yellow Brick Road. The Ward Scott Files and the data investigator, Mark Glazer, we started the investigation. We were the first to look into it. Mark was the first to discover it. And we have taken the ball there and carried it and have had to push a rock up a hill here because we have found resistance from officials, if you will, at every step of the way. If it hadn't been just for us being convinced that the documentation would speak for itself, if the people would just take a look at the documentation, they would see that we were not, didn't have an agenda. We, didn't, we weren't trying to get, get more Republican votes. We weren't trying to get more Democrat votes. We weren't trying to get more independent votes. We were just trying to get the truth and the documents would spell the truth. But then the way these presentations are made by the Gainesville Sunset, Nathan Crabb, Prahab, probably, and some of these other folks at Wright, it's never quite right. And so I felt like I needed to go through today with you the, the article that was written and published in the Gainesville Sun as an editorial 
Sunday called Voting System for Ex-Felons is Designed to Fail. That quote is lifted from a guy named Dan Smith, whom I may have met at one point, uh, but I don't pay much attention to in this particular case because he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. What he has done is he has dragged in a political bias to the article and the sun has picked it up. He's a Democrat. He's a liberal. I, I don't I, I can close my eyes and know that. I, I, you know, I, hey, I stand ready to be corrected if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm sure that's what he is. And because I've never seen anything truly sensible, objectively come out of this or be attributed to him. Um, the university was going to hire him, for example, and maybe did as a quote unquote expert witness to testify against DeSantis's um, election reform. You know right away what's going on there. Of course, DeSantis knew who he was and that you were not going to you're not going to get uh, an objective conversation from him. Dan Smith, you'll get one laden with political burden, the same way with Joe Little, some of these guys who work for the university. You know, when the Gainesville City Commission went wrong, I also learned in discussions with some longtime important people in our community was when the University of Florida allowed professors to go out in moonlight as commissioners. I had never thought of this, you know, and I thought I thought of everything. Ha ha. Right. And I listened attentively as these older fellas told me this story. I had never thought of this. Now, I'll, I'll move it along to you now. Once upon a time, and this is back in the 60s, um, maybe late 50s, 60s, university would not allow you, and they're crying and complaining now about uh, university guys like Smith. These guys have become professional testifiers, and the university not only allows them, but uses them to go off and push their political point of view. But once upon a time, you couldn't do that at the university. You were a professor in the classroom and you dealt with your subject material in a way that helped the students become stronger citizens and thinkers and professionals and help them in the workplace, all the above. A university, universal, universal is really where we're coming from. So we were not allowed as professors to become commissioners. It, and if you, the commissioners, therefore, were made up of predominantly business people who gave up their time because they didn't make any money. OK, deliberately, they kept the salaries for a part time job as a gain. I'm just going to focus on the Gainesville City Commission as a civic duty, a civic contribution. And so you had business people on the Gainesville City Commission, but you didn't have university people, at least not while they were in the classroom. When the university said, oh, you can go, you're a regular person, you can go, we can't control what you can do in your off hours. Let me tell you something. At Santa Fe, we made arrangements. We made arrangements for scheduling changes so that the Warren Nielsen's and the Ed Braddy's could keep their contract obligations fulfilled at the university, I mean, at the, co at the college, and still go off to the, the, the commission and be commissioners. And so all of a sudden, you've got the commission made up of professors and the predominantly liberal professors, and they're getting paid quite handsomely. The county commission's even more of a nightmare. That is supposed to be a part-time job. That's 85 grand a year, my friends, for a part-time job. And these people, like Ken Cornell, 85,000 a year for what's supposed to be, ideally, a civic duty that you can't keep that you do part-time, that you know going into, you're going to leave after a reasonable amount of time. You're not going to be there for life. Cornell's an excellent example. He's in there applying to get in there forever. So what has happened is when these professional people, 
start participating in activities outside the classroom, you have seen the whole political tone of the community change. And this Dan Smith is no, no exception. The editorial takes from his mouth, voting system for ex-felons is designed to fail. What this does, of course, is it avoids the facts. We're not talking about the voting system. We're talking about the behavior primarily of two people, Kim Barton and T.J. Pichet. They do not make a system. Okay? Here's why. I'm going to set it straight for you. Listen carefully. Take notes. It will be on the test. Put your hat on properly. Don't turn the bill to the back of your head. Smith claims that the individuals who made an honest mistake are now facing felony charges. Smith claims that the 10 people who have been charged with election-related crimes, they made an honest mistake. The mistake that is traceable, that we have emails that document, was not a mistake. It was deliberately done. All right. Are you listening to me? Are you paying attention? It was deliberately done. Once Barton is reminded by the state election officials and she gets an email, all the state election officials get it. The law says, the law says convicted felons must pay their retribution before they're eligible to vote. That's not a mistake. She got it. Then she sent that email to her staff. Dan Smith, are you listening? I hope you hear me. She sent the email to her staff. Nine days after she sent that email, T.J. Pichet goes to the jail. We know it from the jailhouse logs. Now, we don't know because we can't, they don't have an email that says that Kim Barton told him to go because she has what's called plausible denied, deniability. She can claim, and I'm sure she is, or I would if I were she, that T.J. Pichet violated my order. Violated my order, which completely ignores the fact that she accepted what he gathered after he violated her order as legitimate voters. Without inquiry. That's not a system. That's human beings, Dan Smith. That's human beings. Okay? So T.J. Pichet, who took the Fifth Amendment and quit his job after being told not to, went to the jail. Without asking any questions. Well, that's not reasonable. That's not sensible. In other words, he's claiming he went in there and said, I don't know what you did, but whatever you did, it's your you're supposed to know, not me. After he got an email from his boss saying, in effect, don't do that. Both of them are really getting a pass from the state attorney, in my humble opinion. On this, it should be a lot closer scrutiny. Now, 
The other thing that Dan Smith doesn't know anything about yet, because we haven't sprung this yet, sex offenders. You will freak out when you hear that list. It ain't no flawed system. Dan Smith. It is the, near as I can tell, I'll put this out as a hypothesis. The fact that these supervisors, Kim Barton in this case, don't make any attempt to check the integrity of voter rolls. I've been saying this forever. And now we've got proof. Sex offenders and murderers. Okay. Now, the editorial goes on to thank Brian Kramer. Let me tell you what getting Brian Kramer was involved was like. It was like the proverbial pulling teeth. He, by his own admission, I think we got an email to that effect, said, oh, this is a low priority, a low priority for me. I've got serious crime here. I've got burglaries and killings and muggings, which he hasn't been able to stop, by the way, up 20%. He won't be able to stop it. I've got to deal with that. That was his attitude, trust me, until we got national awareness of this situation, Dan Smith. Now he says he's going to help local residents determine their eligibility to vote. And he said his office will start taking applications from residents who want to check whether they have unpaid fines. Are you kidding me? That's one of the most naive, immature statements I've ever heard a law enforcement officer make. You're going to ask the poor hapless fellow who was picked up at the Francis Center, who has a rap sheet going back to the 80s. You're going to ask that guy, are you, to contact the state attorney's office? Are you kidding me? What moon do you live on? The resident initiative is wrong, flat out stupid. The supervisor of elections should be combing through those roles in coordination, perhaps with the clerk who has never done it, and the state attorney's office, and you're not going to get anywhere. The register, are you kidding me? I just, I'm, I'm stuttering over that. The register, register, resident initiative. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So you see, I'm not talking about a system. I'm talking about people. Now, the article says that it's a responsibility falls on the voter. That is a myth. That is a pure, simple myth. It is so easy to disprove. Look at the flurry of absentee ballots that went out with Zuckerbucks. This article makes no mention of the fact that that was proliferated by Zuckerbucks, $700,000 to this community. And it is presented in this editorial as if it were fact that T.J. Pichet told inmates about the law's requirements. Wait a minute, time out. That's not fact. There are multiple versions of that. 
There are several witnesses, all based upon witness testimony, one of whom is from the head jailer himself. Do you think he wouldn't want a CYA? You don't think he wouldn't want a CYA? If you go look at the record the way we have, there are multiple witnesses who have different stories about T.J. Pichet's relationship as these inmates plunk their name down on the clipboard. The article says that Barton acknowledges confusion among the felons. It is should read Barton caused the confusion. She caused the confusion. Okay, in defense of Kim Barton, whom I like, I know her, I like her. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about her professional role. Go, go, so go ahead and ask me, how did she cause it? She caused it by accepting without investigation what T.J. Pichet did nine days after she told him not to. So I asked the question, is it her duty? Because this is where the, bat, the buck is being passed. Is it her duty? Not to question the inmate, because she's not there. But to question T.J. Pichet about what he said to the inmates. And we don't have a clue. That's nowhere that I know of. Now, remember, T.J. Pichet immediately takes the Fifth Amendment. Remember that in the... FDLE report we have the post Miranda statements that the FDLE got from these hapless souls are it's still redacted. It's still redacted. So the whole story is not out, but Dan Smith thinks he knows it all. I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy, but I know him now. I know him now. Now, he can defend himself by saying, well, the Gainesville Sunset misquoted me or mischaracterized me. Okay, that wouldn't be the first person Sunset did it to. But right now, you don't know what you're talking about, Dan Smith. And since you don't know what you're talking about, the Gainesville Sun doesn't know what it's talking about. Because it based its rebuttal of our discoveries basically on you saying the system was flawed. That's a whole different issue. Then there's this statement that Florida felons should be treated like any other Florida voters. I don't know where they get this garbage from. Except this crowd believes, as I've said all along, evidently they believe it. If you can make a fog on a mirror, you can vote. I don't know. That's, that's the political situation. In other words, if you can make a fog on the mirror, you can be easily manipulated. One of the great ironies about this, that the great, the really fine writers from fresh Florida, those two youngins discovered is that the one person who's been picked up so far for this voted Republican. Imagine that, imagine that, imagine that. One thing I want to say here is that the, uh, let me take a sip of coffee here, see if there's anything on face chat here that I need to look at. Let me see, I'm just looking through here. Okay, my friends, let me, let me continue by also talking about an article in the Gainesville Sunset Sunday that um, 
there's a one side of the story. It's the PBA, Police Benevolent Association's story about the sheriff. And I just want to point out a couple of things here that I haven't really investigated this, but I do know some things about this because I have interviewed the sheriffs on my radio show for years. I had a sheriff's day. I interviewed police chiefs, Tony Jones. I, I interviewed the PIOs, public information officers. I interviewed the Marion County sheriffs. I interviewed the Gilchrist County sheriffs. Uh, interviewed the Levy County sheriff. I know quite a little bit about what they said about the difficulty it is in hiring people to do this job. And I know from talking to my friends uh, that I know who are in GPD, my, with whom I shoot occasionally at the range, uh, Black Lives Matter and all that crap, which Sadie Darnell marched with, along with Coach Mullen, which was a huge mistake, has been an advocacy for defund the cops and uh, kill the cops and the whole bit. It's made it a miserable place uh, where people don't want to work anymore, generally speaking. But this, this article says that the department, among other things, I'm just going to hit a couple of spots here that I can clarify, has lost 52 jail detention officers, hiring over 13, dada, dada. And it never compares attrition here in this sheriff's office to attrition in GPD. We need to do that, do we not? There are two law enforcement agencies in the same community. Now, let me tell you something that this PBA article does not bring up. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm doing some research on it right now. There are, I think it's 50. Don't hold me to the exact number. There are 50 Alachua County deputies who live outside Alachua County who drive their Alachua County Sheriff's car, have been allowed to drive their Alachua County Sheriff's car home. Who paid the gas? You did. You paid the gas. I did. Those cars that those deputies are driving, 50 of them, I uh, stand corrected if it's a different number. 50 of them. Drive their cars to another county where they live. You know why they live there? Taxes. 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 Taxes are lower, my friends. Taxes. But they got there with your taxes. Where's that in the article, PBA? Where's that in the article? That's a biggie for me. That's a biggie. What's the rationale behind that? Also, how do you feel about a Lachua County deputy? Deputies not living in a Lachua County. This is a county law enforcement agency, shouldn't, wouldn't it make a difference? Wouldn't it or would it? I don't know. If your Alachua County deputies had to live in Alachua County, maybe then they could take their car home since their home is Alachua County. I can't take anything the PBA says seriously until I see that issue addressed. Because I don't think this is the whole story. I can't see, I don't know, I haven't talked to the sheriff about this, but I, I don't know why you don't compare it also to GPD. I've already covered the fact that Kramer who in my mind is really still not dry behind the ears, formed this task force and excluded all the sheriffs in its task force and handed over to GPD. 
has been stumbling all over itself forever. Had to bring in somebody to shore up Tony Jones. Who lives, by the way, rent-free in a mobile home on the grounds, I've been told, of Lincoln Middle School. And has for years. Pet taxes? You pay him? Most interesting. Well, have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to the Word Scott Files. Thanks to production for helping out. We'll be having a phone line coming soon. We'll be talking about it after the show. Hopefully, we'll continue to be getting you a good product. And I've got to come questions. You got any of y'all help answer any of those questions? Feel free to wait in. Warthog Command Center out.